Welcome to Full Court Press, and I'm Liam Griffin. Riley, exactly one week from today, you and I will both be back in Syracuse, New York. It's time to get the party started up again. Looking forward to it, Liam. Looking forward to it. And uh, I think Syracuse is cold weather. is ready to greet you guys the second you guys step off that plane and arrive at Syracuse. Because, man, it is chilly here and snowy. But uh, looking forward to round two. And then, like the cars said, the band of the cars, let the good times roll. All right, boys and girls, back on the show today is the man that somehow ended up as Mr. Yankee Cowboy Warrior. I still can't get over that. Riley Wall. All right, there we go. You still get the clapping sounds. On today's episode, the SEC and Big 12 go head-to-head. Joel Embiid criticizes the King, and we predict some exotic Super Bowl stats. We begin today with what went down at the end of the NFC Championship game. On third down and five, Tom Brady threw for rookie receiver Tyler Johnson, and it landed incomplete. This, by the way, was with under two minutes left to go in the fourth quarter, with Green Bay holding one timeout in the 31-26 game. However, Packers cornerback Kevin King, who had gotten burned for two touchdowns in the game previously, was called for holding on the play. Because the officials had been letting the kids play the whole game, they were crucified for this one call, Riley. But, do you have a problem with it? I do. I, uh... Really dislike the Packers, so I look at it as karma. Um, the refs took away a nice win for the Cowboys when Des Bryant caught the ball in the end zone, and then they did it to the Packers. I'm okay with it if you're calling it both ways. If you're going to call that, you got to call Devontae Adams. There was pass interference when he was in the end zone that would have changed the game. They didn't call it tough, so you, but you got to call it both ways. And I think the NFL needs to figure this out. The fact that the referees can make it a, have, are making a difference in who goes to the NFC Championship game or who goes to the Super Bowl we look in 2019, the New Orleans Saints got a chance for the Super Bowl taken away from them. And that's that's not okay. The NFL needs to figure out how can they make the refs not as big of a factor, and it's the players that can decide who goes and who doesn't. See, I agree with you in the fact that they were letting the kids play the whole game. However, for this one particular call, I mean, when it's that clear and obvious, I mean, he was tugging on the jersey. I don't think anyone's going to deny that. He was tugging on the jersey. When it's that clear and obvious, I mean... I think you got to call it. I really do. It's really bad luck that for Green Bay that it ended up being called against them at the most inopportune of times. It's even worse luck that it was called against Kevin King, who had had, in my opinion, one of the worst games in NFL playoff history. But at the same time, I mean, you got to call it when it's that clear, that obvious. I mean, it, you just have to. It's it's a no-brainer. It's But like I said, in 2019, that was a no-brainer. That was obviously past interference in the Rams-Saints game. Obviously, the next year they changed the rule, but then changed it back. I just think that if you're going to call it, call it both ways, plain and simple. And they did a good job up until a few calls. They let go, and then they call that one. And I, huh, I know, I know you mentioned well. the Saints, but let's make something perfectly clear. The Saints had an opportunity to win that game after, I'll admit, that call was complete bogus. It should have gone New Orleans' way, but Drew Brees did throw an interception in overtime. He did throw an interception in overtime. And, and you take a look at that sort of blown it moment for the Green Bay Packers. How do you let someone score a 39-yard touchdown in single coverage on the last play of the first half? It blows my mind. It blows my mind. That's some of the worst defensive coverage I've ever seen right up there with the Minneapolis miracle, the end of that Raiders-Jets game this year. I mean, it was it was terrible beyond terrible. That's what it was. And Green Bay fans, don't look to that call for the cause of the game. Look to look to that play right there, and something we're going to be talking about in a minute. Yeah, 
I mean, the refs were scrutinized, but what about Matt LaFleur? Packed down eight with 211 to go, three timeouts. Fourth and goal from the eight with one of the best quarterbacks in the league on her center. LaFleur decides to kick the field goal, doesn't call the onside kick the ensuing kickoff, and instead taking the ball from Aaron Rodgers and giving it to Tom Brady. LaFleur's been a subject of mass criticism ever since, Liam. Is it warranted? I'm on a few that thinks it isn't as warranted as he's been receiving. Don't get me wrong. It, I prop. Well, one of the things is that Aaron Rodgers had two wide open lanes on, I believe it was first and goal and third and goal, and elected not to run it in. I mean, what are you thinking, Aaron? You're one, you're one of the most mobile quarterbacks in the NFL at age 36, 37. I don't know exactly how old he is. But, I mean, you got to run it in. You've got to run it in. So, but the real story here is, Green, as as we mentioned earlier, Green Bay's defense blowing. I mean, I mean, I went into the game not knowing who Tyler Johnson was. There was the NBA Tyler Johnson, who I'm I'm not sure is in the league anymore. The NHL Tyler Johnson, who plays for the reigning champion Tampa Bay Lightning. But I'd never heard of a Tyler Johnson in the NFL before to before the other day. So you tell me that a pass interference call on him is what beats you? Come on, you got to find a way to cover him. I mean, they did a good job containing Evans and Godwin for the most part, in my opinion. But you can't, you can't, you can't let the Tyler Johnson. No disrespect to Tyler Johnson, he played a solid game. But if you're the Green Bay Packers, you're in the NFC Championship game. You can't let Tyler Johnson be you. Was the call questionable? Yes, but some of the blame should definitely be on Green Bay's defense. Yeah, and. You can look at Green Bay. When it comes down to one play and one decision, you say that's why we lost. Then you lost. Like you, you can't say that if if you did everything else right and that one decision changed it. Yeah, but the Packers had so many other opportunities. Like you said, Tyler Johnson, end of the first half that they just should have capitalized on or just not let happen. They let that come down to one call. That that's not that's not how you win a game. You gotta do everything right. You gotta you can't let it come down to one. But. LeFleur decides to take the ball from Aaron Rodgers, who's having a great season, great game, and give it to Tom Brady. Yes, he had three picks, but it's Tom Brady. As much as I dislike Tom Brady, he's the king. If under two minutes, if he has the ball, you can say that, that the Patriots or the Bucks, whoever team he's playing on, are going to win. And that's what LeFleur should have thought. Who are they giving the ball to? So, overall, I just think LeFleur didn't make the right decision, electing not to go for it, and when you can make it fourth and eight, and you can win the game on that, I, that's why I point out they would have tied the game and gone to overtime. So, and you you really think Brady wouldn't have let his team down the field and scored there? Given how Rod- given how Rodgers also the king are two minutes. They're, they're they're both. You gotta give Rodgers a chance. That's that's plain and simple. Give Rodgers a chance. He can't give the ball to Brady. But at the same time, fix that defense, Green Bay. Regardless, then that's a tough way to go down to the goat. Now to the other conference championship game. If I told you the Bills scored the first nine points as well as the last nine, you would have thought they won, right? Well, what I didn't mention is the 38-6 demolishing Kansas City gave Buffalo in between. I said last week that the the Chiefs wouldn't be able to win if Mahomes was 100%. Well, that turf toe appeared to be non-existent. And Tyree Kill and Travis Kelsey once again had over 100 yards apiece. We're going to focus on Buffalo here. We'll talk about Kansas City in a minute. Buffalo is a very good team, but they appear to be miles away from Kansas City, Riley. So, what should their primary focus be this offseason? I mean, you know, live up here in Rochester, New York, 
that you could feel it in the air. The Bills in the playoffs, the first time in 25 years, they won a playoff game, and everyone thought this was the year. You would go to the grocery store at uh, 12 o'clock noon on Sunday. It'd be packed. You go at 1. Everyone's at home watching their TVs. Everyone thought this was the year. But the Bills laughed a lot, and that's what people didn't see. Their run defense was atrocious this season. They needed to get fix their front four and their middle linebacker core. Their, their secondary is amazing. I don't think they need to fix that. They need to focus on keeping Trey White around. I believe he's on a decent contract right now. They just need to either look at a linebacker or on the other side of the ball, a solid running back and get them the first down. Because, again, the Chiefs game, they had no run. They couldn't run the ball. So the Chiefs, all they had to do was just pass, blitz, 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 blitz. And that's and that effectively caught Josh Allen off balance, uncomfortable, and ineffective. So two things they need to look at is drafting a high-caliber linebacker and a running back can get them those first downs and establish a solid run game. Yeah, you made a point about the running backs. I mean, I went into the year expecting Devin Singletary to be a very good number one running back for the Buffalo Bills, and to be frank, he wasn't. I mean, I think Zach Moss took over for him at one point. But you said it perfectly. I mean, in the first regular season matchup between Kansas City and Buffalo, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire burned them. for I think he had over 200 yards. And then in the second matchup, I mean, their linebackers couldn't do anything to stop Kelsey. I mean, as good as Trey White is, Tyree Kill is another breed. But I think you summed it up perfectly. They need to fix their running game and fix their front seven. I mean, because I think Ed Oliver is a very good front seven piece for them. But at the same time, I mean, who else do they have? Yeah, and I mean, they're linebackers. You got Matt Alano, and they're getting there. They're not there yet, and the other thing is they don't know if they'll ever be there, but they have that the chance to. They just need someone who can sit in the middle of defense and can step up and stop the run, or else they're just they're going to keep doing this. They're going to go to the championship games, they're going to go to the big games, and they come up short because they can't stop the run. But, yeah, but they are young, so they'll be back. Bright. They'll be back. Future's bright. Unfortunately for you fans in Foxborough, especially you, Liam, Josh Allen's been around, around for a long time. Hold on, hold on. What, but, if we get, well, hold on. what if we get to Sean Watson? I don't know. Josh Allen's Oh, you don't want to think good. about that. You don't want to think about that, do you? I don't think anyone wants to think about the Pats getting uh, Sean Watson or even Trevor Lawrence. They somehow can squeeze that out. But let's look at Super Bowl 55. Brady, Mahomes, Fox, Chiefs. Tony Romo said it. Jordan, LeBron. The best quarterback of all time, potentially versus the best quarterback in the league right now, undisputed. Both co- both QBs have weapons galore, and for the first time in history, a team will have home field advantage in the Super Bowl, although it's a little different this year, obviously. The Bucs will enjoy a comfort of home while the Chiefs take on the Bucs next weekend. Liam, what are your initial thoughts and predictions about the game? This has the potential to be arguably the greatest Super Bowl of all time because I, the media is hyping up the... Brady versus Mahomes narrative so much, and then watching first take PTISA, seeing what Stephen A. and Tony Romo said about how this game could have a massive impact on the GOAT debate, like, if Brady wins, there's no chance he's the undisputed GOAT, if Brady wins, there's no chance Mahomes catches him, well, first of all, hold the hold your horses on Mahomes right now, Mahomes is 25 years old, right? You know who had two Super Bowls at 26? Ben Roethlisberger, how many does he have since then? Right? Sorry to criticize my roommate's quarterback, but at the same time, you gotta do what you gotta do. I mean, this is just... It's its amazing how hyped up this game is is and is going to be. And I know you and I will probably be watching it together next weekend, so I, I can't wait. I mean, you talk about... You've got 
Hill versus Evans, Kelsey versus Gronk. I mean, you've got the fastest receiving core in the league in Kansas City, going up against perhaps the most balanced receiving core with Tampa Bay. With you got the power guys, Evans, Godwin. You've got Scotty Miller in the slot. You've got your versatile man in Antonio Brown. And then you've got two dominant tight ends. Well, maybe not dominant, but good. In Gronk and Cameron Bray. Then for Kansas City, you've got the Speedsters, the Hills, the Hardmans. I believe Sammy Watkins is coming back. And you've got Travis Kelsey. And you've got the versatile running backs, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. Da- not Damian Williams. The other Williams. I can't, I can't picture his first name. Le'Veon Bell. I believe he's going to be healthy. And then you've got Brady versus Mahomes. People aren't talking about the defenses for this game, which both teams have excellent defenses, but people aren't talking about them, and for good reason. Yeah, I I think the offense are going to overshadow the defenses, but both have great defenses. It's going to make it interesting. But I don't care how good your defense is. It's Patrick Mahomes and Tom Brady. Tom Brady if how, did not play that great in the package game. Three picks. Some of them kind of just they weren't needed, and he's kind of forcing the ball. But Patrick Mahomes... Got turf toe, and as Robert Sala said, don't let that old man jog fool you. He, he does that little trot off the field, but he is the best quarterback in the league, and if he keeps playing how he is, he'll be the best quarterback to ever step on the field. I think it's going to be undoubted. I know Tom Brady's got the rings, but Patrick Mahomes, the things he can do in the pocket, even out of the pocket, the pass he makes, it's going to be an electric game. It's going to be fun to watch. Regardless, though, I'm I'm picking the Chiefs. I just think – I don't think anyone can stop him right now. I just think Patrick Mahomes and Tyreek Hill and then Travis Kelsey across the middle are unstoppable right now. Well, hold on. You mentioned Patrick Mahomes. Do you think he would lead the Patriots with their current receiving quarter of the Super Bowl? That's what I'd like to know. I think he could do it. He, his wide receiver, his receivers are open, but he's even just he's able to get the ball to them. Sometimes they're covered, and he still gets the ball on their hands and gives them a chance to make the play. He's not relying on a guy being wide open. He's putting the ball where the receiver can catch it. Well, I, I know the stadium won't be full, but it won't be easy for KC to overcome the whole home field advantage. Do you know what is easy? Podcasting with Anchor. Alright, let's move on. This wasn't originally going to be a topic today, but given what news that came out before we started recording this, we should talk about it. It's going to be a wild beyond wild NFL offseason. I mean, some of the big names that have been thrown out there. Deshaun Watson. Matt Stafford, Jared Goff, Jimmy Garoppolo, and Allen Robinson, one of the top receivers in the NFL as a free agent. Then, 16 minutes ago at 10:12 a.m. Central Time, the belief that among some Houston players and coaches is that JJ has played his last games at Texan, first reported by the NFL Network. Huh. Things are just going down in flames even more for Houston right now. So, they've already lost James Harden. They've already lost George Springer. Michael Brantley returning to Houston was a consolation prize after that whole Toronto fiasco. I don't know what went down there. But uh, things just keep getting worse and worse for Houston. Maybe it's a good thing I'm getting out of here tomorrow, Riley. So what do you what do you make of these offseason developments so far? And don't forget, you did Aaron Rodgers was even thrown on the, in the circulation. The Packers front office said no way it would be crazy, but crazier things have happened. I think just Houston's the place not like it's not the place you want to be. I think your quarterback just doesn't want to be there. JJ Watt has been, you could say, the face of the franchise since he was drafted there and has had issues staying on the field due to injury, but has made the city a better place. And he's always been a great humanitarian around there. Leaving will be a bit that just him leaving will be a big, a big uh, loss to Houston. They're going to take a while to really, really rebuild. And to think two years ago, you had Deshaun Watson throwing the ball to DeAndre Hopkins and 
they looked like they had a chance in the Super Bowl, and now there's this. I think this offseason will be a big um, mix-up of where veterans go. I think we're going to see a lot of new homes for players that have been there for a while, and it's going to make the NFL interesting. I think there's no way to know where people are going because one day you hear Stafford's going one place, the next you hear he's not, and he's staying. And It's going to be interesting to watch where players end up, and it'll make the league – It'll jump up the league, and I think the best, what's going to help the most, is the rookies being drafted this year are going to have the veteran leadership to develop as superstars. And keep in mind, as of right now, the Texans don't have a first-round pick, unless I'm mistaken. So Yeah, and I mean, who? doing Watson makes sense, though. He doesn't want to be there, and the, what they can get in return could just jumpstart their franchise. You see the Dolphins, even last year, were just the laughing stock of the league, and this year they were one win away from the playoffs. Okay, so let's Let's rewind a little over a year ago, to January 12th, 2020. The Houston Texans were up 24 to nothing in the second quarter of a playoff game at Arrowhead Stadium against the Kansas City Chiefs. They were outscored 51-7 to from that point onward. The very next day, the Major League Baseball Commissioner's Office came out with a punishment for the Houston Astros Find millions of dollars, stripped a bunch of draft picks, Hinch, Cora, Lunau all suspended. Well, Cora's wasn't announced then, but, you know. Not long after that, the Houston Rockets elected to go small ball. Need I say more? But the point of the matter is, ever since that fateful moment when they were up 24-0, Houston sports have been a train wreck, with the exception of the Astros coming one win away from the World Series. I still don't understand how... In the heck that happened. I mean, because they were under 500 this year. That should never happen. But, you know, <laughs> it is what it is. The right team got to the World Series. The right team won the World Series. But things are going downhill in Houston fast. But getting back to the point, talking about the NFL offseason as a whole, this is starting to remind me of summer of 17, summer of 19, when all those crazy NBA free agent moves were happening. Like, this has the feels of that. I mean, you never know. Like, I check my phone like every five minutes looking for a Woj bomb. And once the season comes up, I'll be checking my phone every five minutes looking for a Schefter bomb. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And I, I agree. It's going to be a just, it does look like that. Where LeBron moved to LA and then Anthony Davis followed. And then they just, all the Harden, I mean, that was a while ago, but you get Westbrook following Harden, KD to the Nets. Like, all these superstars. It's a superstar league all across sports right now. And the impact one guy can have, we see it right now in Super Bowl 55. Tom Brady went to the Bucks, who were atrocious last year because Jameis Winston, and now in the Super Bowl because one guy moved. The impact one guy, especially a quarterback, can have can change a team, their whole outlook on the future. So what happens this offseason could directly impact who goes to the Super Bowl and who starts the next ISD in the NFL. This will be a very interesting offseason to watch and a very important one for many teams to capitalize and fix their needs. Especially now because so many of the great quarterbacks in the AFC in particular are on the younger side. So it's almost as if it's a passing of the torch, if you will, perhaps. Definitely. I mean, you're looking at the... uh, As as we're growing up, you look at the era of the quarterbacks with Brady, Breeze, um, Roethlisberger, Rodgers, all those guys, and they're on their way out. And now it's the new guys coming with... Watson, Mahomes, I'm going to put Prescott in there, Josh Allen, uh, Lamar Jackson, all those guys. That This is the new generation coming up, and we're transitioning through there. And it's it's got the potential to just be the next the next generation quarterbacks. 
I don't think we've had this amount of talent since you had your um, Aikmans and your uh, Terry Bradshaw and all that across the league. So Terry Bradshaw did not play in the same era as Troy Aikman. Roger Staubach played in the same era as Terry Thank Bradshaw. Thank you. It was Staubach. Okay, I want to make sure. I was a little off, I thought, but I'm glad, glad you were there. And yeah, but next year in the AFC alone, you're looking at Watson if he stays in Houston, Mahomes, Lamar Jackson, Baker Mayfield, Josh Allen, Joe Burrow is going to be back and healthy. Trevor Lawrence will be in Jacksonville next year, and the New England Patriots could make a splash for someone. I don't know who. Justin Fields may be in East Rutherford. So, it's going to be crazy, but it's time to move on. So, on Wednesday night, a flagrant foul on LeBron James. Oh, flagrant foul was called on LeBron James. It's an, it's an abomination. Due to criticism of one Joel Embiid. Joe just said after the game, quote, It was a very dangerous play, and I guarantee if it was me, I probably would have been ejected from the game, unquote. Replays show LeBron merely tapping his chest as he went up for the shot, but Embiid acted as if he had gotten run over by Derrick Henry. Riley, I don't know if you've seen the play, but what are your thoughts on this whole fiasco? I saw it time and time again, and Joel Embiid, my personal opinion, runs his mouth too much. He needs to just play and let his game do the talking, and that's never happened in his career. He is, I mean, all a lot of Philly right now is Joel Embiid, Ben Simmons, guys with talent that have, a poten- have potential, the most dangerous word in sports, potential, and haven't shown it yet. They... Year after year, they go home early. And so MB does too much talking. He just needs to play. Like you said, the replay, LeBron tapped him. And LeBron James has proved himself not to be a dirty player, to be a good guy, and just out there to play. And he never has had issues. People saying, oh, he's Grayson Allen, sticking his leg on trip guys, or he's trying to make cheap plays. When a guy's coming and trying to dunk, sometimes you put your hands out. He tapped him barely. MB flopped, which, remember, the flop is a flagrant in, in the NBA. And I think Embiid overreacted a little. Yes, it could have been a dangerous play, but I don't think Embiid needs to criticize LeBron like that. LeBron obviously had no intention of doing anything. So, I mean, yeah, I've as many as many people close to me know I've never been the biggest LeBron fan, but at the same time, he's a good guy off the court. I can't stand what he does on the court, but he's a good, very good guy off the court. But and he's never given me the dirty player impressions, but. Even, yeah, you put your hands out when someone's going up for a dunk to try and throw them off, but... I mean, oh my goodness, that's... I mean, you remember, that honestly may be up there with what Marcus Smart did in Atlanta. Or against Atlanta, because that game was in Boston. It may be up there. It really may be up there. And this is the second show week that criticism from... That Marcus Smart called out LeBron or Embiid for his flailing last week, now... Now Joel Embiid is claiming that something that barely met the criteria for a common foul, in essence, was should have been a flagrant two. A flagrant two? This is just... Joel Embiid and, is quick, he's quickly making himself one of the most hated players in the NBA. Yeah, and also, has the, front, has the NBA front office, has Adam Silver done anything to discipline LeBron? Anything? No. Not as of yet. I don't believe he's going to do anything because it was not a dangerous play. The way Embiid fell endangered himself because he had a flop and almost like fell on his back. If he just took the foul like a normal guy would, he would have been fine. Sorry. Yeah, and and I dare I say it, it pays me to say it, but Embiid is the best center in the NBA. But you keep you keep flopping like that, you're gonna put you're gonna put a target on your back. Yep. Two straight weeks, Embiid and his fouls and. 
just a topic. We see a pattern developing. Let's see if we get it next week. But busy week for MLB's hot stove. JT Real Muto re-signed with the Phillies. The Mets sent Steven Mattis to Toronto. Not good for ALEs for us, but that was a very surprising move. Yankees and Red Sox make a trade for the first time in seven years. Believe it or not, the Bombers sent Adam Adovino to Boston, among a few other moves. Liam, what hot stove move of the week is the most influential on the league? One thing you didn't mention, and it's my fault because it wasn't in the script because it happened late last night, but Nolan Arenado is now a St. Louis Cardinal, shipped over from the Colorado Rockies. But even that is not the biggest move of the week. In my opinion, it may not look like it at first, but the biggest move of the week is Toronto gaining Steven Matz from the New York Mets, and here's why. I believe that Toronto needed mid-level starters to truly compete for the AL East, and I believe they've got that because they've got their ace in Hyunjin Ryu, and then now they've got they've got Shoemaker, they've got Matz. I think their pitching core is still a little questionable, but unless I'm mistaken, they've still got the excellent closer Ken Giles, who seems to be dominant against every team except the Red Sox. They've still got Kirby. They signed Kirby Yates, one of the best free agents pickups in my humble opinion. But the real story here is a rotation spot is now cleared up in Queens. And rumors have been flying around all week that the Mets are starting to gain traction on Trevor Bauer. I mean, you put DeGrom, Syndergaard, Stroman, and Bauer in that rotation. I mean, two years ago, the Washington Nationals won a World Series off of their starting pitching. It appears to me, plain and clear, that the New York Mets are clearly trying to do the same thing. And I believe they have the pieces to do it. I think that on both ends, the Mets are looking to build one of the best rotations in baseball since the big three in Atlanta. I think you could argue that. Um, but if you look at the Blue Jays, the Blue Jays right now have one of the youngest cores that have some of the most talent in the MLB between Vlad Guerrero, Boba and Calvin Biggio. They added um, George Springer, another great vet, and who's had issues in Houston. But they're starting to add to that core. You look at what San Diego, San Diego has done, who also has one of the best cores, one of the youngest um, potential and superstars, and now they're surrounding everyone in San Diego with talent. They're great offseason, and now Toronto's trying to do the same. The Mets, then, are taking their new ownership. All the money they have now just trying to throw it at any free agent that wants money. They tried getting DJ, couldn't get him, thankfully, and now they're trying to go after Trevor Bauer. And he's, Trevor Bauer is the rating side young, if I'm not mistaken. And he's got the chance to just make that the best rotation in baseball right now. And the best since probably the, the mid-80s with Atlanta. Yeah, and one thing we didn't mention also is Tanaka leaving the Yankees. So the thing that Yank- the Yankees got the salary dump they needed when they gave us Adovino, which in my opinion benefits both sides because we need bullpen help. You guys need salary space because what the Yankees have constructed is a rotation that is banking on three pitchers who have dealt with severe injuries over the past few years with Tyen, Kluber, and Severino. They're banking on them returning to all-star form, right? But yeah, say that doesn't happen, you have to have a backup plan. And that's where I think the loss of Tanaka to Japan really is going to hurt. And unless I'm mistaken, James Paxton still has not signed. Maybe use the money you used from out, lost from Adovino to go re-sign him. Maybe. I, I don't know, but... In my opinion, nothing will quite overshadow the Arenado deal and the Mats deal. I mean, yeah, and if, while we're talking about the Yankees, real quick, their roster, their their front, the rotation between Garrett Cole, one of the best pitchers in baseball, 
And then you add in Corey Kluber, who's coming off injury, Severino coming off injury, two guys between Severino and Kluber who were Cy Young or Cy Young candidates until they got hurt. And then you have David Garcia, Jordan Montgomery. They get they have these guys that are unproven. Garcia, Montgomery, a young core that has an opportunity to be good. But then they're also bullpen. They started to lose some guys. Uh, Tommy Canley and Adam Avito are gone. So the Yankees are going to have to prove themselves again. I think Ooh, I, didn't realize Can- I didn't realize Canley departed. Yeah, he did. He went to uh, the Dodgers, actually. Oh. Yeah, so Dodgers made some big moves the there. Rich, the rich get richer. Rich get richer. Yeah, so it'll be another another uh, league to watch as a lot of teams are still improving. And I feel like the Yankees, that core isn't getting any younger. And especially guys like Stanton and LeMahieu, they're not getting any younger. As young as Judge is older than people realize. I think he's – is he? isn't he like 28? Yeah, he, he's up there. You have Torres coming off a bad year. I'm starting to wonder if he's going to take the Benintendi route, if you know what I mean. I mean, yeah. it, it's it's possible. But let's move on. Real Muto signing leaves one marquee free agent on the market. We'll see how it goes. Riley, the Big 12 and SEC are going head-to-head in college hoops today. We get two top 25 matchups as a result of it. The first tips off shortly at noon Eastern time as 9th-ranked Alabama travels to Norman to face 24th-ranked Oklahoma. Riley, two football powerhouses in the top 25. Weird, isn't it? Who takes this one? Alabama. I think they have had a great season. Um, they're ranked 9th for a reason, and right now it doesn't look like many teams can stop them. I think they go into Oklahoma and they take it. Yeah, I got to go with Alabama too. I mean, they're one of the most... They're one of the most improved teams in the nation. This is a rare year for them in that they have a shot to win. The Nat- they just won the Natty in football. <laughs> Could they do it in basketball? Winning this game here would help, and I think they will. But before we move on, some more hot stove type news. Didi Gregorius returning to the Phillies on a two-year, $28 million deal. Phillies, Phillies right. making spies this week. They're trying to keep what they had. They were not good last year, but I like what they're trying to do. Yeah, it's good for Didi. I'm loving New York, and uh, he's got a place to go again. Great shortstop. But uh, still college basketball, second game, tips off 6 o'clock. Stumbling, 15th-ranked, yes, you heard me right, 15th-ranked Kansas Jayhawks visit 18th-ranked Tennessee Volunteers. Liam, Tennessee has been stumbling lately as well. Which team wins this and gains momentum? I'm going to go with the home team, Tennessee. And I think that Kansas plays in the much, much better conference in the Big 12. I mean, they could have more tournament teams than anybody this year. At, and it pains me to say, being an ACC stand. But, you know, I I got to give it to Tennessee. I mean, them and Alabama are the two lead top dogs in the SEC. I can't say the same for Kansas being a top dog in the Big 12, all with Baylor, UT, Texas Tech, West Virginia, among others. I can't say that about Kansas right now. For me, uh, I got Kansas. I think Bill Self is going to – Get the Jayhawks back straight and get them moving forward. I think of the three of the three big blue between Kansas, UNC, and Duke, Kansas is going to team that's going to keep moving forward. Bill Self takes them the victory here in Knoxville. Yeah, Kansas is Kansas hasn't struggled not as much as the other blue bloods as if the Dukes, the UNCs, and the Kentuckys of the world, but it hasn't been a good year for them. Okay, time for the history lesson, boys and girls. We're going to great achievements of the past in the coming week. Twenty-one years ago today, January thirtieth. Super Bowl 34 was played on the old Georgia Dome in Atlanta. It was Kurt Warner and the greatest show on turf taking on the Titans. And the game came down to the final yard. McNair found Kevin Dyson on the final play, but Dyson was toggled before hitting the end zone, and his stretch was 
one yard short. It was and still is the metaphorical longest yard in NFL history. 12 years ago Monday, February 1st, in the last Super Bowl played Tampa, Pittsburgh Steelers matched up with the Arizona Cardinals in the game's 43rd installment. Highlights include James Harrison's 100-yard pick six and Larry Fitz's 64-yard go-ahead TD with under three minutes left. But the biggest highlight of them all, Santonio Holmes, toe tap with just 35 seconds left, that gave Pittsburgh a 27-23 win for their sixth Lombardi trophy. I'll do the next one, too. Spare Liam. 13 years ago Wednesday, February 3rd, the Giants matched up with the heavily favored 18-0, cheating, excuse me, Patriots in Super Bowl 42. The Giants' D contained Brady like no one else did that season, but the Pats still held, held a 14-10 lead late and appeared to have Manning sacked on third down. Somehow, someway, Manning escaped and hit Syracuse grad David Tyree for the famous helmet catch. Plasco Burris l- later scored the go-ahead TD, and New York shocked the world, ending the Pats' dream of an unbeaten season. No, I didn't know David Tyree played at Syracuse until now, so it's kind of a... Hard for me to have those ill feelings towards him now. <laughs> but now it's time for me to get happy. Four years ago, Friday, February 5th, 28-3. Need I say more? I will anyway because I feel like it. The Atlanta Falcons were up 28-3 with under three minutes to go in the third quarter of Super Bowl 51 and appeared to have it locked it up. Then Tom Brady happened. Touchdown pass to James White, a Steven Goskowski field goal, a Dante Hightower strip sack, a touchdown pass to Danny Amendola, a miraculous catch by Julian Edelman. Oh, I forgot a, a big sack by Trey Flowers. Touchdown run by James White. And two perfectly drawn two-point conversions enabled us to tie the game. We then won the coin toss, and White capped off an amazing game with a walk-off touchdown run, giving Brady his fifth ring. And we're going to do something we've never done before here on Full Court Press in the, next, in the last segment today. We're going to make some exotic Super Bowl predictions, because... People bet on these things. I'm not a betting man, but people do bet on these things. So we want to offer you our takes. We start with the national anthem length. On average, it takes about 1 minute and 55 seconds to sing the national anthem. Next weekend, it is being sung together by country singer Eric Church and R&B singer Jasmine Sullivan. So Riley, give us your take. Will it be longer or shorter than the 1 minute 55 second average next weekend? I got the over. I think the... Uh... The duo, uh, these two singers, can take it over a minute 55. I disagree, and here's why. Only and only because it is pre-recorded. Or I, I believe it is going to be pre-recorded, unless I'm mistaken. That, in my opinion, creates leeway for a shorter anthem. The question is, will it? But, I mean, as long as it's not a furry, dragged-out type anthem, I, I don't think it... I don't see why it would be any longer than a minute 55, but... I mean, Luke Bryan's went over a minute 55, and his was excellent four years ago when it was in Houston. But my gut tells me under, so I'm taking the under. Fair enough. Other than the game itself, for those that might not be football fans, the commercials are undoubtedly a highlight of the Super Bowl. There are many memorable Super Bowl commercials, including Hyundai's Smothawk. I hope I pronounced that right for our uh, Boston friends out there. The Doritos with the pigs flying. The Mr. Clean commercial from four years ago, among so many others. The cost of Super Bowl commercials is a whopping $5 million, Liam. Which brand will make it worth it in most terms of how memorable the commercial will be? So, my gut is telling me that it will be a commercial with a celebrity. Because last year's Smartpot commercial had John Krasinski, Chris Evans, and Boston's bigness himself, David Ortiz. Who, by the way, should, but I'm not certain will, be a first ballot Hall of Famer. 
I know we had this conversation earlier this week. I know you disagree. But let me see. I'm going to... You got so many celebrities in commercials right now. You got Mayfield with Progressive, Peyton Manning and Brad Paisley doing their nationwide stunt. But my gut is telling me that the brand that will have the most memorable commercial this year is perhaps the brand with the most memorable ad of all time. And that is Coca-Cola. The most, for those of you that know the most memorable ad of all time, Coca-Cola, around Christmas season in the late 1920s or early 30s, they depicted Santa Claus in a red outfit. That's how the red outfit tradition began. And, you know, kids, that's why Santa wears a red outfit when you see him at the mall every year. And, you know, I'm, I'm going with Coca-Cola. It, it, this is one of the hardest things to predict. This is like predicting the national champion for college hoops. But I'm going with Coca-Cola. I'm going with Progressive for this one. I, uh, they've had, had some pretty funny commercials recently. Uh, had not to turn to your parents. And he's a funny. So I think they're going to find something about that in the Super Bowl. And I think it's going to be one of the insurance companies to take it for this one. Yeah. But, uh, and, yeah. And, yeah, and one of the, you know, per, you know, Progressive has had those, uh, Eccentric commercials with Flo and Jamie and how to turn into your parents. I think that they could really pull something funny, like, for this COVID Super Bowl in general with the whole how to turn into your parents thing. I really think they could do that. But, it's a, it, again, it's a really hard thing to predict, so. Yeah. <laughs> well, The weekend, who, may, who, in my opinion, had the song of the year in 2020, looked to put on another great halftime performance and find his name up there with Katy Perry, Lady Gaga, Coldplay, Prince, Bruno Mars, and the Black Eyed Peas among great halftime performers. I remember Katy Perry and Lady Gaga's performances respectively having numerous costume changes, Riley. So, how many outfits will the weekend equip next weekend? Two. My guess is two for that one. I just got a feeling, you know, they never came to me. Maybe it was thinking Derek Jeter and how he was the first ballot Hall of Famer, but I'm going to go with two. Wow, you had to take a shot there, didn't you? But... <laughs> You know, you look, in my opinion, The Weeknd has five big songs that have really topped the charts. You've got Starboy, The Hills, Can't Feel My Face, I Feel It Coming, and then obviously Blinding Lights. So, I'm going to go with three. I think you mix in two changes somewhere in there. I don't know how he's going to do it. Maybe, I mean, I don't know if you've seen those magician shorts on America's Got Talent who change outfits faster than the speed of light. It's ridiculous to me, but, you know, I'm going to go on a limb here and say three outfits for the weekend next weekend. And, and again, exotic. before we move on, this is, again, this is another ridiculous thing to predict. We know <laughs> part of the reason why we're doing it. Here's the final one. Maybe the best of all, Gatorade. At the end of the game every year, the winning team's head coach receives a Gatorade shower, and the color of the Gatorade has varied from year to year. Liam, what will it be this year? You gotta go with red. I mean, I feel like it's an obvious pick, given that Kansas City's one of Kansas City's primary colors is red. One of Tampa Bay's primary colors is red. You gotta go with red. Again, hard thing to predict. Can be anything from clear to orange to green to red to blue. I'm going with red. Yeah, I used to always think it was red. Even red was my favorite Gatorade flavor. But since since I started enrolling, going to Q's, orange. That's my color. We bleed orange in Syracuse, so it's gonna be orange. No shame, well, in picking, folks, no shame in picking orange. No shame in picking orange. That's all for today. Once again, it was a pleasure to be on Full Court Press. I'm Riley Wall. 
I'm William Griffin. I'd like to thank Riley Wall for being my guest today, and thank you for tuning in. Be sure to give this podcast a follow on Instagram at Fullcraft Press Podcast. And if you're interested in being guests, please DM the podcast or contact me. Please, please, please stay healthy, wash your hands, be safe, and be positive. Next week, I'll be back from recording in Syracuse, and our NBA expert Dominic Chapone will join the show as we break down the NBA season up to this point, predict all-star rosters, keep an eye on how college troops are shaping up, and of course, preview the Super Bowl. Expect the episode to be available when you wake up next Saturday. We'll see you then.